and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Hello and welcome to this broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. My name is Scotty Reed and I'm joined by one of the co-hosts of New Abolitionist Radio Tag who is part of the team. Um, also today, hey, I'm looking forward to speaking with Max Parthas who is a former co-host and producer of this very program and podcast and he's the current executive producer and co-host of the abolition today radio show and podcast you know i reached out to max because he has been sharing a whole lot of updates for those that listen to abolitionists today y'all know uh the type of progress that the new abolitionist movement has been doing um been gaining and you know max has been spearheading a lot of that along with other individuals so i'm just very proud of max and we're going to talk to him about those latest developments and you know of course it centers on abolishing or and removing the language from individual state constitutions and the U.S. Constitution's exception for slavery and involuntary servitude. But, hell, if you look up either word in a dictionary, you're going to find that they're interchangeable, meaning they mean the same thing. Um, so this allows both practices in the United States and federal, state, and private prisons. Um, you can check out his full bio. I mean, this man has put in a lot of work over the time that I have known him, and he was active years before I even uh, hooked up with him back in 2013. So we're looking forward to speaking with him. But before we bring Max in, I want to bring in uh, our co-host for today, Tag, and um, allow him to share any updates, you know, that he has going on in his life in terms of movement work um and also any you know opening comments he would like to make so let me go ahead and uh unmute him uh tag you there yeah yeah you able to hear me still yes sir appreciate it appreciate it well all i'll say is you know feeling some flashbacks of, of those uh vintage new abolitionist radio broadcasts so that's uh that's feeling good right now and Furthermore, certainly, you know, with it to continue the dialogue with Brother Max about uh, all of the abolitionist gains that have been going on, especially of late. So uh, that's that's what's up. As far as uh, other updates, certainly still focused on our comrade, Kevin Rashid Johnson, who's behind the wall and still facing uh, untold repression, particularly in Lucasville right now which has a, a long history of struggle on the inside and of repression, uh, especially from some of these uh, white supremacist uh, characters and clans, characters, etc. And so uh, he's up against it right now. So we, we really got to make sure to give our support because he's been doing the heavy lifting from the inside for a minute and a half um, at this point, producing uh, brilliant artwork 
and writings and just doing uh, great organizing work. So thoughts out uh, to Brother Kevin Rashid Johnson, continuing to work on In the Spirit of Mandela, and uh, ideally we can continue to build around that uh, as we move forward. But amped for this discussion, and uh, great to hear uh, you again on here, as well as uh, to hear Brother Max uh, once he gets on. Ideally he's on already. Yes, he's there waiting in queue, and we'll be coming to him in just a few minutes. I do want to give a a brief comment about something that I've been thinking about. You know, I'm an avid, I guess you could call me an amateur uh, historian. Um, From the time that I entered into middle school, I have always, history was always my favorite subject. And I was getting a whitewashed version of history when I was in school. But it was with the advent of the internet and my connection to it in 1999 that I was able to access historical documents, writings, materials, uh, other uh, historians, and that I had never you know, and the rest of the world, everybody else in the world never had access to before. It wasn't in these, some of these books and some of these documents aren't in your local library. So anyway, I, I said that to set this up. So, and don't get me wrong. I am not on here criticizing. I'm making a constructive critique, but I'm not criticizing in a hateful way or coming from a mean place. But I just want people to think about things, you know, because once you study and you read and you read from various sources before you make up your mind and you get outside of just reading from sources that confirm the biases that you already have, you know, look up that term confirmation bias and You know, I share that type of stuff on my podcast, uh, BTR News. I I make videos, but of course I turn them into audio podcasts as well. And so my last podcast, you know, I I was just focused on, I came on a situation with an old host on Black Talk Radio Network, and it just brought back bad memories of what I deem Afro-Christophobia. And what that means is the unwarranted, um, spiteful, mean, hateful comments directed at, and propaganda directed at black Christians. You know, we've all heard that Christianity, it was the white man's religion, and, and, you know, none of that stuff is true if you actually do, do the research. But I came across... And this isn't the first time I've tried to have that conversation. I came across a meme on Facebook. And it was a picture of Mansa Musa, who is promoted as the most wealthiest person to have ever lived on the face of this planet. In the history of human history, no one is said to have been wealthier than Mansa Musa. Now I just, you know, became aware of him and I might've, might've saw something about him in the past, but I, I didn't, you know, stick in my memory, but I used to co-produce a program. You could also say co-host Tando radio show with brother David Wren and shout out to him. Uh, love you, bro. Even though we ain't working together no more. I, I know, you know, he, he, his life went in a different direction and he wasn't able to continue that program. And he used a uh, old, you know, graphic or image 
of Mansa Musa where he's sitting, you know, uh, sitting down on like a map and he's holding looks like a gold nugget in his hand and he got a crown on. So then I start, I researched Mansa Musa and I was like, this dude used slave labor to acquire his wealth. And a lot of black people, and I understand it, uh, all people do it. You know, look within their own, look back in history at individuals um, that is a part of their quote-unquote racial group or ethnic group or nation, you know, share the same nationality. And they idolize these people and they hold them up as heroes. And so I was like, I was saying to Dave, you know, this dude, uh, who you think was working them gold mines to get, get the gold? It ain't like he was out there digging, you know, himself. And so anyway, somebody shared a meme of a different representation because they didn't have cameras back in the 13th century. I'm not unaware of any actual paintings that were done of Massa Musa. Um, but this person said, I would like to see this film. And so I shared it and I said, I would like to see this film in it if it is historically accurate. Mansa Musa acquired his wealth via slave labor working those gold mines. And it is said by some historians that him traveling from, I forget the part of Africa he was in, but he traveled to Mecca, which is in Saudi Arabia, you know, a place I've actually been, um, and not for a good reason, but that's another story. And, and so on his travels, you know, he had all of these quote unquote servants slash slaves and what have you had them all dressed up in finery. These are the, you know, the representations that people made of this person. We don't actually know what these people look like, you know? Um, but anyway, so him traveling and, and showing off, we certainly know about showing off in, in the black community. We call it flossing. But he's showing off his wealth. He's giving away gold. He's giving away all this money and what have you. And that put a target on Africa by the Europe, Europeans and the Arabs. Like, dang, Africa got gold like that? Let's invade. And then we know what happened with the colonization of Africa, which some nations in Africa are still colonized. We call it neo-colonialism. And so, you know, I plan to do a video about that. But a person told me that they was going to stop following Black Talk Radio Network's Facebook page simply because I shared that meme and shared that, that factual history. I didn't make it up. And and so isn't that, I guess I'm asking a question tag. It, how is, you know, people telling us that slavery was different in Africa and that's debatable because you had hundreds, if not a thousand different cultures, societies, ethnic groups, tr you know, tribes and what have All of them didn't have the same practices. So, so it wasn't a monolith. But that argument that, oh, it was different, they treated them people better. It wasn't, quote, unquote, chattel slavery, even though chattel means property. So if they're the property of another individual, no matter how they're treating that person, they're still a chattel, uh, uh, 
I, I be trying not to call people slaves, but you know, that's the language that most people understand, but they were chattel, chattel property, chattel, that's chattel slavery. Anytime a human being is property, that's chattel. Just like every prisoner on a plantation in the United States today, in, in a prison, they're the property of the state, the property of the federal government, the property of private prisons. And I would even say my time in the military, I was chattel slave, a chattel slave, because I was the property of the United States Army. But isn't, isn't when we say try to make distinctions between quote-unquote African slavery and slavers like Mansa Musa, isn't that just like the neo-Confederate racist and, ed- and so-called school boards that want to teach things like, oh, slavery was an internship, or as one neo-Confederate over a debate with me about the Confederate monument talked about how there was a black man who enslaved people and supported the Confederacy and then saying like how they treated their property, they didn't call them property, but treated them well. So that's what I want people to think about. Why are we making, is there such a thing as a good, quote unquote, slaver? Tag? So the short answer, I, in short, I would say no. Uh, I don't believe that there's such thing as a good slaver. However, uh, based on how you've kind of couched uh, that question in, in this history around Mansa Musa, for example, and the Mali Empire, uh, but and especially equating it to neoconservative discourse, uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that that amounts to the same. I think that the the question that's raised around uh, the differences when comparing systems of enslavement is an important one. However, unfortunately, and I think this is perhaps part of why uh, the individual that you mentioned. Uh, apparently was so heated about, you know, you raising these questions is because um, we, we all have, especially those of us who, uh, who connect to and relate to and situate ourselves within these communities who face enslavement and have faced enslavement historically, they, these, these questions have, um, you know, deep uh, emotional, even spiritual uh, content and, and weight and gravity. So, so certainly, I recognize that these these can be difficult questions to have to field. But to me, they're very important ones. And so, the reason that I say um, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't equate the two, is because from my perspective, it's an it's a, a, a question of specificity. And so, you you mentioned your um, devotion to history, and and uh, I have always recognized that in you and and your research. And, and I, too, um, find history, you know, as El Haj said, you know, that, that that's the form of study that, that will, uh, I, I'll paraphrase, but will, will most bear fruit or prove most useful to us, something to that effect. I don't have the exact quote um, handy, but so, so I tend to agree that we must look very closely at our history. And so when we're talking about comparing systems and forms of enslavement, uh, to me, it's extremely important that we get into the specifics of what that entails. So, for example, I, I think about uh, authors and, and scholars like um, Bio Holsey, who has written about enslavement, 
uh, in the uh, context of the continent, you know, and so many others. Um, Orlando Patterson, you know, who wrote Slavery and Social Death, you know, compares systems of enslavement, you know, throughout history, uh, all across the globe, and, and it's extremely important work. Um, and that work needs to be happening continuously. So um, just to keep it brief, I would say that uh, there, are, there are a number of examples of scholars who've pointed toward and done the history and those that, you know, come out of those traditions, uh, speaking to very clear distinctions between, you know, what we often just refer to as chattel slavery as kind of a shorthand in the U.S. context and in the colonial context and um, on the continent in, across various nations and in, in different specific uh, locations. So, um, so I think it's extremely important that if we are going to compare and contrast across regions and across uh, time periods, that we just really get into the specifics concretely of what that entails. Uh, yes. So, so that, that would be my short answer to the question. I don't think that I wouldn't conflate those two because I think that there are very valid arguments to be made uh, drawing clear distinctions between uh, forms of enslavement that existed on the continent before uh, slavers from elsewhere arrived and um, and after the fact. And I think that just accounts of, you know, sovereigns, for example, who uh, felt uh, after the fact manipulated and exploited, uh, who, who, you know, have expressed uh, in historical documents that they didn't know what they were, you know, being uh, roped into, so to speak, what they were being manipulated into involving themselves in. I think, you know, it's just one example among many um, of, of why we should draw clear distinctions between what's been referred to as the ma'afa and, um, you know, traditional forms of enslavement or, um, you know, other systems that, of course, wouldn't have the same names that we have in English, um, other systems that uh, we can draw parallels to and certainly should compare to that uh, form of enslavement. But um, but I don't see them as, as one and one the same. And I think it's important that we really do get into that comparative research. Well, we will in the future have them because we, you know, have limited time. And I want to get Max in here. Um, you know, um, again, like the kingdom of Dahomey, that king was whining and crying when the British told him, you can't do this anymore. Okay. So, so, and I think it's also important to know the background of the particular quote unquote ruler we're talking about. Mansa Musa was an Islamist. He was what people have turned a Arabized African, meaning that he, he was following Islam. And so then you can be informed by knowing what Islam talks about slavery, how it was okay to enslave infidels. So, you know, it, it to me is the agreement isn't necessary. The only thing that's necessary is respectful conversation. People ain't got to agree with each other, but it's by having these conversations that we can inform one another. So uh, Max's guest last night, I don't think she was the guest, um, but I think she was a caller. And she talked about how human beings are complicated and we can have, I think she used the word duality, where we can have conflicting beliefs at the same time. Like she said, says, yeah, I want to get rid of these systems, but at the same time, I want these killer cops in cell blocks like the sister uh, from um, Baltimore would say. But without further delay, let's bring in the man of the hour, Mr. Max Parthis. Max, are you there? 
Peace, Scotty. Uh, peace, Tag. Um, this is a, a memorable moment indeed, uh, coming back here on New Abolitionist Radio and joining YouTube and uh, disseminating information on modern slavery and human trafficking in America. Yes, Max. And, and just let me say, man, you know, I'm very proud of where you and others, but particularly you, I see you as the primary driver of this nationwide, nationwide, you know, uh, progress towards abolishing slavery. You know, when we first met through Facebook in 2013, and of course we met in person later, um, you know, there was no abolition amendment in Congress to remove the exception clause from the 13th Amendment. But not only that, but all the hearings that you and others have attended on the state level. And that, you know, just makes me proud to know you and call you a comrade comrade to see just how far, you know, you've taken this movement. And, you know, one of the things that sticks out to my mind right now was you were comment, commenting on the hearings and what some of the Republicans said in Louisiana. And one of them said, they going to use this to end slavery. I'm paraphrasing, and perhaps you can refresh my memory his exact words. But he was like, they, they trying to end slavery, baby. And I was like, they going to use this. If we take this exception clause off, then they going to be trying to trying to get people out of slavery. And, of course, he wasn't using those words. Do you remember that, Max? Yes, it was uh, Senator Sebao, and he said, this is the most dangerous bill we've ever seen. And if we allow this bill to pass, we're going to have to examine every felony case in the entire state. And I'm not willing to open up that can of worms. So nine white Republican senators voted no to ending slavery in Louisiana in 2021. And that initiative, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, it did not pass. It did not pass, but it was still a victory uh, because it brought international attention to what we were doing. So the headlines in China and Indonesia and in places in Africa were talking about slavery in Louisiana. And now the team, uh, the uh, Decarcerate Louisiana team that organized that along with the Abolish Slavery National Network is preparing to fight that fight again for 2023. So it, they didn't get rid of us. They just made us stronger and they exposed themselves for what they're actually trying to achieve and keep in play. I was just thinking that if anything, they expose themselves that they know that slavery is happening and they are totally cool with it. Uh, Tag, did you want to add anything? Well, what I would add is that it's true. It it gave a great deal of ammunition to abolitionists across the globe and gave some very clear material to, to run with. And um, ideally, I'm just thoughts, thoughts out to the brother. And, you know, I, I will continue to call him a brother, I, I can't think of his name off top right now, but the one who uh, was uh, bringing that legislation forward, who um, unfortunately buckled uh, underneath the questioning around what the optics of voting against the bill would be. Uh, but, you know, shout out uh, still to him. And ideally, you know, that experience created for him the the 
experience or, or allowed him to further see, you know, the depths of, of these flavors and how they operate. And ideally, you know, he has recouped from that and, and is stronger and more committed to abolitionism because uh, that too was, was quite telling. Yes. And it just seemed like one more example, you know, of, of the inter- intergenerational trauma that, um, that we all, all suffer from and, and can lead us to make uh, decisions that we wouldn't otherwise make. Now, I don't know who to... Yes, that was rep- Go ahead, Max. That was Representative Edmund Jordan. Edmund Jordan? Thank you, Representative Jordan. Yes. You know, on the failure issue, quote unquote, failure issue, but I certainly agree with the points that Max made about it still being a success. But I don't know who said this, um, but I came across it on Facebook and it resonated. And the person said that failure, current failures are only preparation for future successes. I think I think that's you know because it gives you an opportunity to refine your methods, which can lead to you know actually accomplishing what you set out to do. So I want to take a quick station identification uh, early because I'm going to turn the floor over to Max and just let him you know just have the floor and and tell us what he want what we need what he thinks. We need to know about, you know, the efforts that's going on across the country, anything about the actual abolition amendment that's in Congress. People should be writing their congressmen uh, and senators uh, about that. You know, I passed out information about that amendment when I went to a Juneteenth event here locally. So we're going to give Max the floor. But first, we're going to take a station identification break. Stay with us, and, and real quick, we are not taking phone calls because our time is limited and we have to be off air by the top of the hour. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back. Talk Radio, your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. For those that didn't know, Max is a multi-talented person. He's more than an activist. He's a spoken word artist and, uh, and an award-winning one at that. So I hope y'all enjoyed that that uh, flashback. That was 30 silver pieces. Max, will you, t- will you please take over the floor and anywhere you want to take us, brother. Um, you know, I, I was kind of thinking we would do give a give and take, but I can give a report basically to let people know where we are and where we came from. 
Well, let me say this, Max. Let, Let me say this. Me and Tag will jump in where we have something to add. Awesome. You know, like you said, uh, back in 2013, uh, when we started New Abolitionist Radio, there was uh, barely anybody that even knew there was an exception clause to the 13th Amendment. There was no states that were attempting to abolish any slavery from their state constitutions. Hell, nobody even knew how many states actually had an exception to slavery in their state constitution. So when we started, it was really humble. Uh, We took the baton from people like Lee Wood, and uh, Angela Davis, who had opened up our eyes previously to it, uh, but never really got any traction with it. And we was like, you know, what we need to do basically is put two words into the English lexicon, slavery and abolition. And, you know, you're speaking those truths, and it's going to explain itself uh, and get people thinking and talking. And, and we went with that, you know. Uh, and we our, our goal was to reach critical mass, uh, meaning that in the abolition period of the antebellum, slavery times, uh, at one point when they were at their height, there were only 5% of the nation was professed abolitionists, 45% were anti-slavery, and the other 50%, of course, were pro-slavery. So that 5% was the key number we were looking to get to, to get 5% of the population aware, and it would expand from there. Um, I, I don't think we got it to five, but we got it darn close by about 2018 when Colorado came along or 2016, Colorado came along and attempted for the first time to remove an exception clause. They were the first state, and they didn't actually succeed that first time. They failed by 1%, less than 1%. And it was because the prison industries were putting out propaganda saying that this group wanted to uh, free all the prisoners in Colorado and end prisons in Colorado. And for those that know, Colorado is a prison state with the most maximum security prisons on earth right there. Entire counties are built around the prison industry there. And they also have some of the worst criminals you can imagine, from the Unabomber on to serial killers and all of that. So it scared people, and they lost by 1%. And then they redoubled their efforts. uh, And as you know, Scotty, we reported on it step by step uh, during that whole period. They came back in 2018 and won by nearly 70% of the vote just by changing the language of how they presented it. It was all about communication uh, to fight that propaganda. And they broke the ground. Originally, only one state in the entire country had abolished slavery, and they had done that in the 1850s. That was the state of Rhode Island. Uh, The other 49 had never done that. And we found over time that uh, 23 states, one territory, and one district all had exception clause. We didn't even know it. Like, everybody had these damn exception clause. And it really only uh, showed us that this was so intentional that these states were adopting these exception clauses in order to exploit convict leasing, which replaced slavery. Max. Uh, but the ball had begun. Max, if, ahead, I, if I could jump in and interject on that topic and, and tag, you know, jump in whenever he brings up something that you might have something to add to. But, yes, I remember that, Max. And I also remember you, myself, another former co-host of New Abolitionist uh, Radio, uh, jo- uh, Elijah Johanna. Did I say that name right? That's not his real name, but that's his, you know, what he goes by. Johnny Coolidge. Johnny Coolidge. Johnny Cool. Johnny Cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. where we did episodes where we broke down and we looked up and broke down 
all 50 states in the unions. We may have even looked at some territories. I, I don't remember. And I, I can still to this day can't recall anybody else who has has done such extensive documentation of state constitutions as they relate to to modern day slavery. And, and right, and that was how we learned a couple of things. We learned how many states had these exception clause. We also learned that what the magic words were. There was only three magic words that they used in each of these exception clauses in order to pull the wool over people's eyes and make believe they had gotten rid of slavery. So it was accept otherwise. Uh, accept otherwise, and what's the third one, Scotty? Otherwise, accept otherwise. I, I can't remember, man. That's been so long ago. <laughs> it, 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 it's just my mind right now, but there are three words. Well, no, no, Carolina. Offline to doing our conversation, but we discovered little things like that that showed that this was so. Um, they were doing it on purpose, mm-hmm. and they had spread it out over time. So some states started in. Uh, the 1850s put an exception clauses in. Others went uh, as far as the 1900s when they added their exception clause. At one point, we found ourselves reporting about Mississippi finally uh, ratifying the 13th Amendment in right. 2014. You know, <laughs> so everybody was aware of this thing there. Those who were exploiting, uh, but we didn't have a lot of traction then. But I think the uh, tipping point for us, Scotty, began with the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March in Washington, D.C. Uh, not only did we have 17 states participating in marches at their capitals about modern-day slavery, uh, but we also had a uh, coinciding international prison slave labor work strike, as well as hunger strikes going on all across the country. As many as 17,000 prisoners were, or inmates were involved in that. And as I said, uh, 17 states had marches. And myself and Scotty and Tribal Wayne and Crystal Roundtree and many others. Greg uh, Jacoy was day. our driver. Yep. Yep. Greg Jacoy, uh, Jessica, nine names. Uh, uh, yep. Uh, so many just came out. Uh, I I was shaken really by it all, the, the momentous occasion, because at one point we met in a black historic church which was down the street from Frederick Douglass's house. And the only people there were slavery abolitionists. And it was the largest gathering of slavery abolitionists since the antebellum period. It was mind-blowing. Uh, and then we did our, our speeches. Uh, I was one of the keynote speakers of, of, along with Brother uh, King there, who spent three it decades was a in num- It was a number of speakers, Max. And, and we were in Lafayette yes. Park where, you know, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement had a, had a protest. And that's when Donald Trump came up out holding the Bible and sick the popo on them. But that's the park we yep. was in. Uh, Freedom Plaza. Yep, Freedom Plaza. So I think that was the tipping point for us when people still really started to catch on to what it is we were talking about and the truth of it and how it was the root cause of everything, like anything you're talking about, which is oppressive here in the United States, can be traced back to that, slavery. If slavery is legal, it's impossible for you to have justice. It's impossible for you to have freedom. It's impossible for you to have equality. You can't have that as long as slavery is legal. And that's it. And so we decided that uh, we would get rid of that, bro. Yeah, Tag, let's bring Tag in right quick, Max, because that was the first time 
Um, and I, I, I imagine the only time that I actually met um, Tag in person because he was there down from New York. Tag, what are Tag your regulations? Yeah, Allegra yep. uh, was there too. And was that um, was that third term? Was the third term? Unless I, I do remember that discussion, but I, I I'm not certain of the the third term off off top. But was it unless except otherwise and unless? I'm not unless. sure. Yes, that's it. Unless except and otherwise, that's it. So when okay. you see that word, you know they're about to trick you and make slavery legal. And Tag, what was your yeah, impression? What what were your impressions of very, the, um of that um gathering? Because it was historical, man. You was part of that history too. Oh, no question, no question to the to the historic uh, value of that. Um, I I really was grateful to be present for that. Got to link with a lot of heads that I'm still in contact with and have been able to forge relations with uh, from there and build with, you know, a lot of heads that are, are steeped in this work. And in fact, uh, it being Black August, that was, for me, the, the most in-depth, uh, the most in-depth Black August uh, discussion and event that I had been to to date. And it allowed me to, to really uh, further my recognition of what Black August is really about. And so from, from that time to now, you know, just continuing to build off of that and to, to really just uh, further, uh, you know, just avail myself to as much information as possible and build with heads, you know, who are, are much closer to that history uh, has, been, has been important to me. Um, for for a number for a number of reasons on a number of levels. So um, yeah, all around it was it was monumental. Um, you know, meeting heads like uh, uh, Albert Woodfox. You know, um, and and you know across the board, it was just so much uh, so much important history being built there. And um, as we can see to this day, that that was an important and pivotal moment uh, that that helped to continue to to catapult uh, abolitionism forward you know, in it through the 21st century. Now, now Max, at yes, that time, yes. at that time, Max, the, the, um, I'm sorry, um, a number of organizations, including, uh, one, I think it's your wife's ancestor, uh, Paul Coffey. Now y'all have the Paul Coffey abolitionist center, um, there in Sumter, South yes. Carolina, it did not exist, you know, at that time. And now you are also a state operations co-director for the Abolish Slavery National Network. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, some background and, and what that work is all about and, you know, how people can connect with it? Um, yeah, uh, to further the story, you know, after that March, I got real sick and I spent about a year at death's door, like literally they did think I was going to make it. I was told to prepare uh, my papers and say goodbye to all my family. And a miracle happened, man, and then I survived. Uh, and once that happened, uh, I, I was determined at that point, you know, life is short. You don't know what, how much time you got left, so let's go ahead and get this done. And I started joining with some other like minds. And then we got on a call with the people from Colorado who gathered others that were willing to work on their state constitutions. And that was our first meeting for the Abolish Navy National Network. And we decided one of the most important things we could do is establish institutions for this new uh, fight that we're in, something that could last longer than we are lasting. So on August 28th, we celebrate the anniversary of the Abolish Slavery National Network. We did exactly that. 
and I also developed a uh, local institution here, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, which is, as you said, uh, my wife is a descendant of the abolitionist Paul Cuffey. And we provide uh, information, education, and support for the abolitionist movement uh, nationwide and internationally. So the research like you talked about with the America is Ferguson series, research like that, uh, we provide to senators, congresspeople, grassroots organizations, all kinds of groups across the world, including the United Nations uh, and lawyers and judges. So we've been providing that information through this institution. And we built a, a facility here, which I'm actually talking to you from right now. It didn't exist a couple of years ago. Uh, during the pandemic, when I recovered, the first part is when I started recovering and doing this work, uh, it gave us the opportunity to really do a lot of things under the radar. Everybody was worried about the pandemic, and so we got Utah, and we got Nebraska, and we started this uh, program to you know get rid of these exception clauses that they had, and we were successful doing that with three different states, Colorado, Nebraska, and Utah, bringing the total number of states in the United States that have abolished slavery to four. It was one, and now it's four. <laughs> and that was momentous all by itself. But then since then, through the Abolished Slavery National Network, we've established uh, or organized 28 other additional states on top of that. So as we speak right now, eight states have legislation to end slavery in their states. That's Alabama, California, Ohio, Tennessee, Vermont, New Jersey, Oregon, and Nevada. Two of those states already have their uh, legislation done, and it's on the ballot for 2022. So the voters will get the vote, like Utah, Nebraska, and Colorado did, to end slavery. That's Oregon and Tennessee. And then in addition to that, we're working now with 20 other states who are working uh, to get their legislation done or to resubmit it, because some have already submitted it, and it was uh, killed in committee. Uh, that's what they've been doing to us. That's one of their, their tactics is to deny us committee hearings, and so it kills our bills in committee. Uh, states like Texas, Georgia, uh, Florida, and Minnesota, that happened to But we still got them, and they're still organizing. So we feel like at this point, our best bet is to take the wins that we can get. So we've added Maine to the list. We've added Delaware to the list. We've added Connecticut to the list. All of these states, we believe that the people there are willing to end slavery, and they see the importance of it. And so we expect to have as many as 20 states that have abolished slavery by the end of 2022. That is incredible, man. No, no, it's never happened before, not on this scale. And then in addition to that, we work with uh, Congresswoman Nakima Williams and Senator Merkley of Oregon in order to introduce joint resolutions from the House and the Senate that would uh, repeal and replace the 13th Amendment. Uh, and instead of it saying, except for prisoners duly convicted, it will simply say that uh, slavery nor involuntary servitude will not be allowed even for a crime. Or something very simple, simple like that. I, I don't have a verbatim in my mind, but it's very easy like that where it simply doesn't allow slavery in our Constitution. And all these things have happened just in the past few years. Like, we, we stepped out like Godzilla, and people still don't realize what's happening. But it's also very telling that during this period, we're repeating history. So here we are with half the country about to end slavery, 
And at the same time, we have a gag rule where we can't even talk about slavery. Uh, you can't teach about it in school. You can't tell the truth about it. They've actually passed laws with as many as 20 states doing that, and seven that have already done it, passed laws where you can't teach about this uh, in, in schools. And you also have states talking about seceding and how they you know, want to go back to the, the, being Confederates. All of that is happening just as it happened in the uh, late 1850s. You know, So that's where we're at right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, you know, when you mention like what we call, well, there's a number of things that, that you mentioned, but when you look at the, the pre-13th Amendment, a period of slavery, which a lot of people call chattel slavery, but I say chattel slavery still exists as long as human beings are property of the state and private shareholders and what have you. But I, what would you estimate the number of abolitionists in the country to be? Now, I know it would just be a guesstimation, but I would say it, it wouldn't even be 5% and that, you know, that the efforts of New abolitionist radio abolitionists today, uh, various uh, social media pages, anybody that's writing articles about it is that you're engaged in important work to to help us get to critical mass. And I don't know what that percentage of the population would be to reach critical mass where you get over the hump, like you you mentioned the states where that happened. And and additionally, to get us over the hump, you know, with the uh, 13th Amendment getting it repealed. And here's the other portion, Max, is one of the things we worked out um, during this journey is – do we want to, can you amend the 13th Amendment to remove the exception clause? Because that's what we were saying no. at first, but then we realized, yeah. no, you have to repeal and replace that amendment. Right. And I, I have the verbatim language. The joint resolution says, resolved by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress, assembled two-thirds of each house concurring therein, that the following article is proposed as an amendment to the Constitution of the United States, which shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of the Constitution when ratified by the legislators of three-fourths of several states. And it says, Article 2, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude may be imposed as a punishment for a crime, period. And see, again, <laughs> what you were talking about in turn, this is why the, the work that you all are, are doing through the um, – the national network and organizing on the state level and repealing the states is that key thing you just said. You got to have three-fourths of the states to ratify you. Yes. So if you get it repealed right. at the state level, that just makes it more possible to repeal it at the federal level. And that's one of the reasons why we're organizing at the state level because we're going to need them twice. We need them to remove their own exception clauses uh, so that they protect their citizens or add anti-slavery language to do so. And then we're going to need them to vote, their representatives to vote, to get three-quarters of them on board for the federal amendment. And so our plan at this point is to have that federal amendment pass by 2005. Tag, did you want to add anything? Oh, there was one thing, Scotty, you asked about how many people, right? Yes. Um, I believe that with the beginning with New Abolitionist Radio, uh, with the uh, March 4th for Freedom campaign back in 2010, and then with 13th by Ava DuVernay, with the agitation that was created by Kanye West and many others, 
that at least 15 to 30 percent of the U.S. population knows about the exception clause. And I would say about 5 percent of those are working towards making a difference in regards to it. So y'all heard that, people. That's why we need you to get involved. That's why we need you to work in your local community. This is why we need you, you know, to work on, on the state level. And again, you can hook up with the Abolish Slavery National Network. I have linked to it in the full description in Max's bio because, hey, it, it, it's, it's been the monumental progress, historic progress made in this time period, but we still got a long way to go and we need you. Uh, Tag, did you have anything to add? Yeah, yeah. I wanted to raise the question. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that, you know, I'm, I'm connected with organization and, and campaigns that are uh, working with Abolish Slavery National Network, uh, recognizing the, the importance of that work. And so could you just speak on those that perhaps are in organizations throughout the country or, or even elsewhere, or maybe they're unaffiliated, um, particularly if there's already work being done in their state, but also if not, uh, either way, uh, what, what would one be able to do at this moment? Uh, if there is work already being done, how can somebody bring their organization or their individual efforts to um, that statewide work? And likewise, on the federal level to, to you know, make sure that this 28th Amendment uh, gets passed uh, as enslavement. Excuse me, y'all. Is that me? No, that's me. I apologize for that. I don't know how uh, Skype came on or who's calling me. All right. I apologize for that. That was my mistake. I I didn't realize that it was on. could you go ahead and answer Tag's question? Yes, um, absolutely. And I know time is short, so I'll keep it very simple. Um, if you're willing to be active in helping to abolish slavery in your own state, please contact me at abolitionistcenter at gmail.com. That's, if you're willing to be an organizer to help do that, we need people in Delaware right now, particularly. So if you're in Delaware, uh, we use, use your help right now uh, to make that happen. Also, uh, we are working with organizations and groups all over the country. It's hard to say how many anymore because each state has its own coalitions. California has over 80 organizations by itself uh, working with ACA3 to end slavery there. Uh, So each state has different groups working with them. And on the national and international level, we're also working with groups like uh, In the Spirit of Mandela, uh, which is what you're a part of. Uh, tag who are recognizing this as slavery and genocide and putting together a tribunal to hold people accountable. We also have been in communications with the International Criminal Court, which is telling us now that this is crimes against humanity, which is what we wanted them to do, recognize this as crimes against humanity so that we could treat it as such. If you want to just help uh, very simply, you can do this. Dial 52886, 52886, and text in the exception, one word, in the exception to 52886. And you'll be prompted there to fill out a little form. It'll only take you a minute or so. And with that, it'll send a letter right to your state representative and also to your federal representatives just by doing that to show your support. You can go to ntheexception.com if you want to see it all and go ahead and fill the form out there. Or you can just do the text, as I said, 52886 in the exception. 
Uh, and you can always visit us at abol- uh, abolishslavery.us. Uh, we uh, could use endorsements as well as donations. So you can go and see who we are and what we're about and review some of the materials there uh, about this organization, this institution we've developed that has, uh, under the radar, <laughs> done so much monumental work in such a short period of time. On August 28th, we're having our anniversary, as I said. I was given the opportunity to either speak in D.C. at the March anniversary of the March on Washington or California. I chose to go to California, so I will be in California with March on Foundation uh, for the March for Our Vote, uh, where I'll be speaking on behalf of the ASN and anniversary and kind of tying things together with uh, voter disenfranchisement and modern-day slavery and how that is connected. We know it's connected, but I'll be explaining it. And my brother Dennis Feeble will be speaking in D.C. with the King family during the March on Washington event there. Uh, so, yeah, you can text that uh, in the exception, 52886. You can go to abolishslavery.us. You can go to end And last, of course, Thank you to uh, the Black Talk Radio Network who simulcasts our program, Abolition Today, which is available at abolitiontoday.org. Some of the things that we do on there is really break down specifics about this system. Like uh, when it comes to the word slavery, we're very specific about what kind of slavery we're fighting. For instance, uh, we use the Bellagio Harvard guidelines on the legal parameters of slavery And the legal definition of slavery in international law is found in Article 1 of the 1926 Slavery Convention, which reads, slavery is the status or condition of a person over whom any or all of the powers attached to the right of ownership are exercised. We go by that because much of the world has signed on in agreement that this is what slavery is. And so since it's a crime against humanity, we are using the proper international and national uh, mechanisms in order to challenge the system of human rights violations. We also talk about things like, we'll define what is genocide, which was a powerful program. We went into King Cotton, and yesterday we had uh, Allegra Casimir Taylor, the daughter of Hugo Pinnell, on, and we had a very vibrant, powerful discussion. So check us out at abolitiontoday.org. And I would be remiss if I didn't say thank you to those who helped make that possible, jailhouse lawyers speak, uh, and of course the IMWE Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network. Well, again, Max, I, I am just so so blessed to know you, um, blessed to have been on this journey with you, and who knows, man, a hundred years from now, you'll open up Wikipedia and we'll be reading about Max Parthis in there, you know what I'm saying? Because you're a historical figure in my mind. But I really appreciate you sharing that international definition of slavery because, you know, again, it just goes back to my opening comments is I I define slavery in very simple terms and I make no no exceptions for, you know, uh, uh um, good slavers or nice slavers, none that don't exist in my mind. But thank you so much, man, for joining us today. Um, Tag, I know you got to run. Any closing comments? Yes, uh, real quick. So on on that question that you just mentioned, I think I've mentioned this text before, but if heads haven't checked it out, West Africa and the Atlantic slave trade is a concise pamphlet that the brother and now ancestor Walter Rodney put out 
about these very questions. And, you know, he goes in, uh, he's not, you know, going around the particulars um, as regards groups like in Dahomey, as you pointed toward, and, and many others. So, so that, that's doing some important uh, work for that text. And I would, I would definitely encourage everyone to check it out if they're interested. And, you know, given that it's Black August, there's, there's mad looks coming up, such as the one that, that Brother Max just mentioned. I would also want to share going um, throughout these weeks. There's been the Black August Tower Hour, and that's been occurring at noon Eastern time uh, every day. And it's uh, going to culminate in a study session on August 21st studying George Jackson's Blood in My Eye. Um, there's a number of actions going on all over the place, um, including in NYC. So if you uh, want to get up with uh, groups like Root and Branch Collective or Take Back the Bronx, there's going to be some important abolitionist action going on um, in, in New York City. And um, I want to also just shout out the upcoming fourth webinar for In the Spirit of Mandela, which is going to be focused on the youth, and it's called Fulfilling Our Mission, Youth Against Genocide. And you can find all of the information about that on spiritofmandela.org. All right. Well, and uh, I, 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 lastly, real quick, pardon, but we mentioned America's Ferguson and uh, would be remiss if not to uh, acknowledge that the, the fallen young martyr, Mike Brown, um, was slain by slaver uh, 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 Darren Wilson seven years ago today. So uh, rising power, mm-hmm. Mike Brown. All right. Well, that brings us to the conclusion of this program. If you think it was constructive, please share it with others. And thanks again to Max Parthis for sharing this abolitionist journey with us. Peace and blessings to all. The Black Talk Media Project funds the use of new media technology in efforts to restore independent black voices to the myriad of issues affecting Afro-descendant people all over the planet. If media can control the minds of the masses, as Malcolm X once said, then you must ask yourself, who is in control of the media targeting the masses of black people today? Help bring back independence, self-determination, and respect for black culture in the production of global media by joining the effort to crowdfund new black media for the new millennium. Visit blacktalkmediaproject.org for more information on how you can invest in public black radio for the masses.